Where does it go? Where does it go? All of that cast off junk, where does it go? Welcome to Where Does It Go, a podcast about stuff. And today we've got a slight change of pace. We're actually doing an interview, which is pretty exciting. And I'm going to go ahead and let Sarah do the intro to our interviewee. Yeah, we have the honor of speaking with Daniel Davis, a.k.a. Tankernut. He's a maker, a YouTube sensation, an author, and an all-around great guy. He did his new book, Upcycled Technology, Clever Projects You Can Do with Discarded Tech, recently came out. It's an interesting and really accessible book of projects you can do with your old cell phones, hard drives, and more. Like my favorite, making your own smartwatch out of a cell phone. So welcome, Daniel. Thank you very much. Yeah. It's a pleasure to be here with you guys. Yeah. First off, could you give us a brief overview of your book that recently came out? Yeah. Yeah. So um, this is my first uh, foray into uh, creating a book. It's been an interesting process, but it's basically just a book of projects that I've done over the past few years. Which, are, which also happen to be on my YouTube channel. So it's kind of a collection of some of the more popular ones. And uh, it gives you a step-by-step guide on, to, uh, on how to take old technology that you might have laying around your house and, and try to make something new out of it, try, trying to upcycle it. It, it kind of starts with you know, whatever you have in your closet or your, uh, your, your drawer that's just kind of sitting there for years and you've been looking at it, not, not wanting to throw it away, but not knowing what else to do with it, well, uh, well you can upcycle that. And that's, that's kind of what this book is about. It gives a few projects, but hopefully a lot more inspiration and into different things that, that uh, you can create. I loved your book. I, I had a really good time reading it, perusing it. I love that you even give the code for people to do Arduino programming. I was like, this is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. That's really cool. And then there was like LCD assistant for this, that my, the smartwatch was my favorite yeah. one. And you gave the LCD assistant, like you said, you can use this to make a little logo for that tiny little Nokia screen. I was like, oh, that's so cool. Oh yeah, yeah. There's definitely been uh, so. I'm I'm definitely not an expert at most things, so uh, I try to take the easy way to do stuff whenever I can. So yeah, finding all these different little programs and tips to so you don't have to hand code your own image for stuff for, is definitely a, a a route that I like to take. <laughs> and yeah, there's a portion where I do. Uh, write a, and I think it's for the same project, right? Uh, a program for Android. Yes. And I use the, uh, the MIT App Inventor, which yes. is a phenomenal program um, where you can just drag and drop blocks instead of hand coding stuff and basically write your own Android program within a matter of minutes. It's pretty fascinating. It reminds me of the program Scratch that they teach to little kids. They use yes. little kids to learn pro- programming. I was like, oh, I really appreciate this because it makes it really accessible. And I'm not a, f- I don't, I've taken programming classes, but like you, I'm not really a fan of like having to go really, I'm, what am I trying to say? 
I want to do it. I want to get the project done. I don't want to have to delve into the philosophy of programming. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, uh, I, I just, you know, kind of call it my version of rapid prototyping where yes. you want to make something and you want to make it quickly, but you don't want to have to invest all the time to dig into the code and go into detail. So yes. yeah, it's, it's a great way to just knock out quick projects that you have on your mind, but you know, don't want to spend a lot of time on it. I think that's fabulous. It is. I, I also very much enjoyed your book. I was apprehensive reading it because I was like, oh man, I'm so not an electronics person. I don't think I've ever, I think I tried to fix my cell phone screen once and then ended up getting a new <laughs> So I'll try stuff, but not, it doesn't go well. And I read the first project, the backup camera from an, yeah. an old smartphone. And I was like, I could do that in an afternoon. I could do that. So it's, it's approachable for people who have no idea what they're doing. And you provide safety information too, which I really appreciate because I don't want to, you know, start think, a fire. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, that that was uh, something that I tried to keep in mind while doing this, and and I did divide it up into different levels of either comfort or expertise. Where there's there's two major chapters, and each chapter has three different projects in it, um, and it starts at the beginner level and kind of goes to intermediate and then more advanced projects. So yeah, the hope is to, you know, include everybody that's just curious about it. The The publisher was asking, you know, are you intending this book to be for engineers or programmers? And, and I said that the hope is, you know, just to be intended for anybody that's curious <laughs> and not not somebody that is an expert at something but somebody that just wants to to uh you know dabble figure out you know what's inside their current electronics and how those components can be reused it's mainly for uh the curious which is what the maker movement in my opinion is is all about so is your sort of enjoyment and then exploration of between YouTube. How long have you been on YouTube, actually? Oh, gosh. A uh, really long time. Which is um, great. That's a huge commitment to regularly participate yeah. in something like that. Yeah, I actually started, I uploaded my first video in 2007. Oh, right. Yeah, that was, uh, so it was 12 years ago. And, uh, and it was right when Google had just bought out YouTube. I think it was like a year into it. I think they bought them out in 2006. And they had just started the uh, advertising program where they would give video uploaders uh, a cut of the advertisement revenue. And, um, and so I kind of got in on the, the ground floor of that. And it's been quite an interesting ride since then. So I have like 400 different videos on YouTube now. And I Early on, I tried to do uh, a project a week, sometimes multiple projects a week. Wow. But as life happens, <laughs> it's, you know, it, it would go to every two or three weeks. And that's kind of where I'm at now is a project every two or three weeks. Well, yeah, yeah. With, a, with a small child and a family, I, I can't even imagine trying to do two projects a week. That's really ambitious. Yeah, yeah, they were the early ones were definitely smaller projects, but uh, as I started learning more and more about 
electronics and programming, my, uh, my projects started getting a lot more ambitious. And so they took a lot more time. What is the earliest electronics project you remember working on? I can remember way back whenever I was growing up, my first big project that I was super proud of was um, wiring up my sister's dollhouse with electricity. <laughs> oh, awesome. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, they, there was a um, little arts and crafts store. I can't remember what it was called, and this was in, in Tennessee. They had like little lamps and just like little uh, things that glowed that you could plug in to little dollhouses. And so uh, with my summer job, I invested some of my, uh, some of my money into getting this little set and wiring up her dollhouse so that she could plug in uh, lamps into different rooms and, <laughs> and different things like that. And it was, uh, I thought it was really cool. I don't ever know what, even know what happened to that dollhouse. I'm sure it's still around. But yeah, that that's probably one of the earlier ones. I didn't really get into programming and stuff into until much later, just because I didn't really have access to, you know, different electronics and different programming computers until I was older. My my parents were definitely uh, computer illiterate, and growing up didn't see much of a need for a computer in like 85, 1985, they got our family a Tandy 1000 from Radio Shack and uh, didn't get another one until like 2002. Oh, (laughs) wow. (laughs) If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Exactly. And that thing never broke as much as we tried. (laughs) Yeah, it came with one of those impact printers. Um, So it was was definitely a little disheartening whenever, uh, you know, school would ask for a book report and people with inkjet printers would bring in book reports with images and different fonts and colors and uh, font sizes. And mine always looked like it was typed because we had a big impact printer that would, that had, it had a little wheel with all the different characters on it. It would just spin around and hit, hit the paper where it needed to be. So it sounded like, like a world war whenever it was, <laughs> it was definitely not a quiet thing, but yeah, that, that, those were interesting times using a, a DOS word processor. <laughs> I mean, it, it's an aesthetic now. People would probably love to have something. Yeah, it's true. That operated like that, the sort of retro feel. I wish I still had it so that I could upcycle it. I think that would be really cool. I was going to say, if you still had that printer, I can imagine you doing some really cool project with it. Yeah, yeah. Like having it um, automatically print something out daily? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like a weather report? Yeah. I went to this art showing one time. It was like this group that they had automated everything and they had typewriters and old printers, like old, those old printers with the wheels on them and yeah. a piano. And like sh- she would play the piano and then all the typewriters and, and stuff would start printing things. Oh, wow. It was it was pretty unbelievable. At first, I was like, I don't know what's happening. Everything's printing, and the typewriter's typing, and this lady's playing the piano, and this guy over here has a light, but it was really cool. Yeah, I thought it was really, really neat. Yeah, that's my type of thing is uh, I like people that mix art and technology. I think that's a good uh, application. 
Mm-hmm. Agreed. Creativity. <laughs> yeah. So that's a that leads me very nicely into my next question because you mentioned that your parents were not deeply invested in technological advancement, which is right. not uncommon. So, so is your enjoyment of this sort of homebrew engineering and electronics work and programming something you've had since you were little? Was it fostered by someone in your life or met multiple um, someones? Yeah, I would I would say that there was probably one defining moment. Um, so yeah, even though that, uh, even though we, my parents weren't really computer, uh, literate, they, uh, my mom was a second grade teacher and she would get grants for computers. So I could play around with some of those, but I, I, the, the biggest thing was whenever her school was upgrading computers one year, um, the principal who I was friends with showed me the closet of all their old computers and said that they were going to be sending them off, but he was going to let me go through and see if there was anything that I wanted to take home from these computers. And that just kind of blew my mind because we had that, <laughs> we had that Tandy 1000 at home and just the idea of having an actual computer was really exciting. Um, and most of them didn't work. So I took like six computers home and a couple monitors and keyboards and mice. And uh, even though at the time I didn't know anything about computers, I, I spent several summers just kind of taking them apart and by trial and error, figuring out what didn't work on one and what parts I could switch out and what parts would make it blow up, which <laughs> happened a couple <laughs> times. But yeah, that, that's kind of what I would say got me started with uh, uh, from the computer and electronics side of things was being able to do that and and just having free reign over technological scrap that I could kind of do whatever I want with and if it broke nobody really cared and and that was kind of the big thing is uh it was just kind of at my leisure to do what I wanted with it and that that's probably um like if I think back on why I like to do that type of stuff now it's probably where it all kicked off I would say that is really cool and it that's kinda, awesome yeah kind of answers sort of my next question of when did you start developing an interest in e-waste because it seems like it was just sort of a gold mine for you at that moment yeah I would say that um the interest in, so growing up we definitely weren't the wealthiest family so so yeah having our a lot of the things that I would see in like the Sears catalog or, or see that some of my friends had, you know, it was stuff that, you know, certain gaming consoles or whatever would be stuff that I you know, would want as a child. But I, I guess I had the uh, artistic initiative enough to try and make it if I couldn't buy it. So, so uh, a lot of stuff um, I would just try to recreate if I, if I couldn't have it. And, and of course it was, out of cheaper, cheaper uh, supplies, and it didn't look like stuff that you could order from a catalog, but it would definitely make me excited to just uh, see if I can recreate the stuff that I saw in magazines or could imagine. So yeah, that's, that's kind of where my interest, I would say, started, is just being able to take stuff that I have around me, just general stuff, stuff other people would consider waste, and use it to create something functional. And I would say that that's probably what makes, what I consider what makes what I do a little bit different 
from other people that use e-waste is I try to make it functional instead of just something that you sit on a mantle or sit on a bookshelf, but it's something that you can still actually use, you know, using the parts from a phone to actually create, you know, something that you can still use. And that's, I, think, I guess that's what the big thing about the upcycling aspect of it is, is, is the usefulness of it. Yeah, you're not aiming for steampunk aesthetic, you're aiming for a backup camera for your car or... Right. Watch. And if it gives off a steampunk aesthetic, you know, that's a plus too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I saw you recently, Daniel, at the opening for Seeing Science for yeah, Ira Scottly. Awesome. And you had this little photo booth with a thermal printer that you had upcycled. That was so cool. I really <laughs> appreciate a lot of your projects. Like they're just fun. Like you could just walk up and it would take a picture and then print it like on a little receipt printer that you could have. <laughs> that was so cool. So I think a lot of your projects are just fun too. People are attracted to them because they're cool. Thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah th and I think the, the other thing about it is it's, it's stuff that a lot of people have access to. It's, it's, it's stuff that people can acquire easily. And, you know, if they just had a little bit of knowledge about what to do with the stuff that they have, um, they can create anything that I have in that book. And that's kind of what the book is intended for. And my YouTube channel is just, it's, it's not to tell somebody necessarily how to do something, but to show them, you know, resources so that they can create their own things or maybe do a project of mine, but take it to the next level. Because a lot of the stuff, if, if you just know where to look or, or what resources are available, anybody can create amazing things out of, out of just the, the stuff in their junk drawer. <laughs> I feel like everybody has old tech laying around nowadays. I know certainly like my customers when we do estate sales in their house, I generally find a drawer mm. full of old phones or, yeah. you know, stuff, the Kindle that doesn't work anymore. I feel like everyone has this old technology, then they just don't know what to do with it. And I feel like if they had like projects, they wanted to reuse it. It's a really great place to start. Right. Yeah. A lot of people think that, you know, if, if something breaks, that that's the end of its usefulness, that's the end of its life cycle. But uh, there, there's so many hidden components. And I think that that's what intrigues me a lot about technology is once you start digging into it, like the computer sitting on your desk, for instance, once you start looking inside of it, you find just this, this, it's almost like another world of components that some of them could be used for amazing things. And it, it's, it's like it's hidden in plain sight, like just looking around your living room, the remote control sitting on your couch, just the, the stuff that can be extracted from that that you normally don't think about. So it, it almost leads to a different way of looking at the world as a whole, just not taking what you see for granted, but kind of looking at it through, through the lens of, through an artistic lens, kind of uh, what, what can this be used for? Or wouldn't this be cool if I could do this with this item? So that, 
that's another thing that's kind of inspiring for me in 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 doing these types of projects is just just looking at the world through a different lens um, and being inspired by just the mundane, I guess. <laughs> what other people would consider as mundane. I'm going through my head right now because my husband is a hoarder of things and he uses them, but I'm thinking of the things that I have that are just old electronics. I have two smartphones and a Kindle that I don't use and mm. two laptops and a printer and I'm not... <laughs> I'm not very technical and a stereo. So it's, it would be interesting for people to go through their, even just in their head, what do you actually have and what could you use it for? Yeah. Like what's just in your house? You don't have to necessarily even buy things. You might need to buy a screwdriver, but what's in your house that you could utilize in a different way? Yeah. Some of the things that I go to quite often are VCRs. VCRs have just like an amazing amount of components inside them, like uh, infrared receivers. Some of them have infrared emitters. They have power supply adapters and <laughs> all, all, sorts of, all sorts of amazing stuff, little motors and gears. And another thing, like on a smaller scale, um, garden lights as well, because they have the solar panels and they have the photoresistors in them. And we have those a pile of those. Yeah, those can be used for a lot of different things. <laughs> Photoresistors are, are really good components with a lot of different applications. So yeah, there's there's stuff everywhere. <laughs> and once you start digging into it and figuring out what stuff is, then you can start to see how they can be used for uh, other applications and other purposes. And and that's that's where the fun kind of starts is that side of thing, <laughs> that side of things. Yeah, yeah. there's a, a lot of, I still have a closet full of stuff as well, p potential projects. And um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of uh, projects that I haven't even gotten to yet, just because there's, there's so much potential in a lot of stuff. Again, you're providing me with excellent segues and I appreciate it. <laughs> what are your thoughts on sort of e-waste as an overall issue? I have... I think I listed seven or eight electronics that I have in my house. And I, I am aware that it's not the best idea to just throw away an electronic item. Yeah. And so that's why they're still in my house. And, you know, they can be donated and that's great. And are they there? I know there are collection processes, particularly for like old TVs and things like that. But right. just yeah. your thoughts on e-waste as an a overall issue would be very interesting to me personally. Yeah, I know that uh, in the Triangle area, we have something called Triangle E-Cycling, which does a, a good job of taking e-waste. And uh, for, for me, like seeing all the potential in old electronics, it is uh, sometimes a little bit frustrating seeing how much of that potential just get, ends up in landfills. And I think that's mainly because people don't know what it is that they have. They don't know how their radio works, how their cell phones work and, and like what can be extracted from that. So uh, I guess for me, aside from like the environmental impact, it, it's, it's definitely seeing that wasted potential and things. And I know that we can't upcycle everything, but, but I think if the technology we use wasn't as taken for granted as it is, there would be a lot 
less of the throwing away and a and a little bit more respect for what we use, <laughs> or at least that's that's kind of from my my perspective. I I know that in my book I mentioned that eighty seven percent of of all the e waste ends up in a landfill. Like it's not sent to recycling. It's not being upcycled. That's that's a huge chunk that just ends up in in landfills. And I think that adding a creative flair to it with the upcycling is is a good way to inspire people. And not not only that, but there's a lot of benefits from upcycling all the waste as well, which is, you know, for instance, learning about a skill set that you didn't know you have. Like uh, uh, upcycling goes way beyond just the, the e-waste side of things, but, you know, upcycling old chairs, for instance, might lead to figuring out how to use woodworking tools or um, upholstery tools and, and different skills like that. And in, inside the e-waste thing side of things, it could lead you to being more curious about programming or being more curious about how resistors work. So, I mean, it's, uh, it, it's definitely a good way to, um, to learn more about different skill sets and doing it in a creative way. And I think that that's what makes it uh, a little bit easier to do. Like I mentioned when I was younger, um, there weren't any implications if I broke one of the computers that I was given because mm-hmm. it wasn't being used for anything else. So I had free reign to be curious. I had free reign to learn how, how these computers worked and what the different com- components were and what they did. And I think that that's still true with a lot of the stuff that I mess around with is I, like I said, I'm not an expert at any of it, but I, I do have the, the curiosity and the passion to figure out how to reuse it and how to make it work. So that, that just leads to this whole other realm of knowledge that I didn't know was out there. And the more that I dig into it, the more I, I am surprised by what I can learn from it. So yeah, the, that's, that's just some of the, aside from the environmental impact, that's some of the, the benefits of, uh, upcycling e-waste as well um, and it also gives you you know the opportunity to be creative to be artistic so that from my perspective that's what I think about the whole e-waste side of things is it's kind of potential that that's kind of wasted for, <laughs> for the time being at least yeah you see it as an opportunity exactly exactly I feel like people like you and the maker movement in general are making making things more accessible to people and I feel like it's bringing about bringing back the kind of renaissance mentality of being interested in things and figuring out how things work and being creative with them and taking a chance and even right. if you have something that you know you ruin by trying to upcycle it it's okay you know you were trying you were learning it's really okay and it's cool and I really appreciate people who try to bring that kind of interest in things back and I think anyone can do it so you know how do you think people should start do you have any advice for people on starting in in upcycling or or making things or just being curious in general stepping out of their comfort zones like you did from speaking from uh, my perspective and, and what I do with upcycling the e-waste yeah. is, uh, is I found that just being curious about, you know, the, the 
electronics around you. And not only that, but Arduinos and Raspberry Pis have been just amazing utilities. So I, I would say that if somebody is curious about upcycling an old radio, for instance, Raspberry Pis are, are huge. They're, they're very easy to use, easy to learn, and they are great for bringing old electronics back to life. And Arduinos are kind of the kind of the same way. They're great for motors and switches and different things like that. That is a great place to start for upcycling old electronics is, is learning more about those, those two components, Arduinos and Raspberry Pis. And just taking inspiration from old tech is, is something that I really embrace as well. Um, I love the aesthetic of older technology, like the cathedral style radios or uh, jukeboxes and (laughs) stuff Mm -hmm. like that. It's to me, it's a great combination of artistry and technology, which we talked about a little earlier. That I think is what makes this uh, upcycling a success is being able to, to fuse the technology with your creative artistic side of things. And taking inspiration from older electronics definitely helps me a lot, inspires me a lot. So yeah, there's many times that I've walked through like a Goodwill, for instance, and I'll I'll just browse through some of the electronics they may have sitting in the back and be like, oh, that's that would be really cool if I could use this as that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and definitely there's lots of resources online as well. Instructables is a great website for uh, seeing what other people create with with old stuff and learning about how to do it too so um so yeah there's there's lots of great stuff out there the internet is amazing if if there's something that you don't know where it can fill in that knowledge i think the main thing is just finding what inspires you finding that what drives you and uh and just following that passion that's awesome. Mm-hmm. And people who know me know I love old junk. So I love it when you're talking about the old radios, oh, yeah. the old cathedral radios. Oh man, I love old junk. I yes. just think it's really well made. And so, so when you, uh, it just gave me this idea of making an old, like using Arduino or a Raspberry Pi and putting it in an old cathedral radio, it made me happy. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. You've inspired me. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Oh, I've been thinking yeah. about stuff to do this whole interview. It's <laughs> awesome. Awesome. The nice thing about Raspberry Pis is it allows you to connect physical buttons and switches to it to control stuff. So uh, why it's good for old radios and old TVs is uh, is you can still reuse the buttons and switches that are currently on those things and just wire them to the Raspberry Pi and use it to control the radio as you would yeah like looking at it from the outside it looks and functions as a radio but on the inside it could be like spotify or uh, looping through youtube songs or, or google music or something like that <laughs> that's awesome i wonder if you could turn it into a police scanner or something yeah one of the things that that i did um another thing that inspires me is the stuff that i knew as a child but didn't really get because <laughs> because we were so poor <laughs> one of them was a teddy ruxpin are you guys familiar with teddy ruxpin i saw i saw your video on your ruxpin <laughs> yeah <laughs> i had one actually you did yeah, yeah. They, were, they were scary 
they they are terrifying it's true but uh, i just have this <laughs> this no, nostalgic area in my mind for it uh, oh i remember wanting one of those when i was little um, i did too and we um we couldn't get it like they were too expensive at the time yeah yeah which nowadays they're they're like thirty dollars on amazon or ebay <laughs> but yeah even thirty dollars back in the eighties was really expensive. <laughs> oh yeah, that was that was money. That was groceries for yeah, was. a month. Yeah, yeah, but I yeah I used a Raspberry Pi to connect Amazon's uh, ecosystem to it. I don't want to say the A word because I don't want to trigger anybody's Amazon Echo. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's good thinking. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> so that you can basically ask the Teddy Ruxpin a question. And the Amazon Echo will give you the answer, but the Teddy Ruxpin's eyes and mouth will move. Oh my gosh. And I know it's terrifying. Uh, I actually used really it. Really cool, a, but a horror movie concept for sure. I Amazing. used it as Amazing. put it in my office over Halloween in the break room. Um, I added a little motion trigger to it so that when people entered the, the break room, it would uh, sing uh, a Halloween song. It <laughs> a lot of people out. <laughs> That's amazing. That is. But as terrifying as Teddy Ruxpin is, Furbies are, in my opinion. <gasps> I was no. just thinking a Furby would be a great little, because they can move. Yeah, yeah. It would be, it'd be a, a very similar application, yeah. I feel like there's an artist online, and he has a YouTube video, and um, maybe you know who I'm talking about, maybe not. He has taken a bunch of Furbies and made them into a musical instrument. I have seen that video, but I don't remember who made it or, or how to reference it. Yeah, unfortunately, if, if anybody knows, if you could comment or email us, it'd be great. But it's really, it's terrifying and wonderful all at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> it just takes old Furbies and like they, they all sing. I don't know how he's controlling them. I don't remember, but it's like a kind of a piano kind of a thing. Is it That's the uh, awesome. Furby organ? Yes. Yeah, yeah, it's the YouTuber. Let's see. I think it's Look Mum No Computer. Let me check and then turn mm. off the volume on my phone while I look. <laughs> yeah, I don't want I don't want to hear it. You don't want to hear it. Yeah, yeah, it's Look Mum No Computer. We'll link to it on our social media. Cool. But it's a yeah. huge it's a huge organ made of Furbies. There's probably 50 Furbies on this thing. It's unbelievable. And it, I love that stuff. Yeah, I, I love, do too. It's just amazing. I love people's creativity. I love seeing the stuff that they come up with. That's why I really love your projects is because you're so, you're so modest about them too. Like you're just like, I didn't know what I was doing and I started it and I got yeah. I and love that. People need to hear that more because I feel like a lot of the time people are like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I shouldn't try. Yeah. 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 It, it, it's mainly the, the curiosity for me and it, anybody that's curious can do any of this stuff. Cause it's the, it's the, the curiosity that drives it. That's, that's what drives wanting to learn more about it. And in my opinion, it's, that's a fantastic tool to use to gain knowledge is is just be curious about stuff put it in a format that makes people want to learn more 
and and for a lot of these projects it drives me to learn more and i don't even feel like i'm learning i'm doing it because i want to make this idea in my head a reality and uh, and i think that that's true for a lot of people in the maker movement is is you know they just or they just have these ideas and don't know how to enact them so they they learn more about different trades uh, woodworking, 3D printing, sewing, vinyl cutting, and through wanting to create, they expand their skill set and expand their their knowledge, and that that's a beautiful thing to me. It's a fantastic tool when you can learn something but have fun at the same time. <laughs> yeah, because I feel like it just makes life better. It does. I think Richard <laughs> Richard Simmons says, "If it ain't fun, it ain't gonna get done." So. Mm, it's it's yeah. a good way to think about things because it's true. Nothing says fun like a Furby organ, right? <laughs> I agree. <laughs> it's certainly colorful and has a lot of eyeballs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one of my first recreations was a little tabletop arcade cabinet because I, I loved video games when I was little, but we never had a gaming console. Well, I take that back. When everybody else was getting Super Nintendo's my parents found an Atari at a yard sale, so we had an Atari. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, and now they're worth a ton of money. They exactly. are. Should have hold, held on to that. Um, but yeah, one of my first recreations was a cocktail-style arcade cabinet similar to the one that I would play at our local pizza hut growing up. And that was all powered off of a, a Raspberry Pi. So yeah, it, a lot of the stuff is inspired by by things that I wanted growing up. <laughs> Nostalgia is, is a, a great means of creativity. I've been thinking about what to do with old Tamagotchis lately. I'm like, what, what would we do with old Tamagotchis? Like, it'd be fun to have an entire wall of Tamagotchis. Or like a Tamagotchi projector. So you could watch it huge on your wall. Oh, yes. that's a good idea. I like that. <laughs> It could be See, like yeah. a like you a guys lamp. are inspiring me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, everybody was obsessed with them when I was like a, I would say it was an older teenager when the Tamagotchis came out. And I, I admit I had one. I worked at Toys R Us. So I got, I got mine with a discount when I was a oh, teenager. Oh, wow. Look yeah. So I had so my little Tamagotchi. Yeah. You worked at where again? I've never heard Toys of Toys R Us. Toys R Us place. <laughs> yeah. Do they even exist anymore? Oh, no, I don't think so. That's sad. Yeah. Yeah. Poor Toys R Us. Yeah, Tamagotchis are making a comeback from what, uh, from what I've seen. Over the holidays at uh, one of the malls, I walked into an Urban Outfitters, and front and center as you walked in, they just had some stocking stuffer things. And uh, amongst them were the newfangled Tamagotchis, as well as NSYNC's Christmas record. <laughs> <laughs> so it's 1999. Yeah, wow. I don't know if they're targeting it towards uh, the older demographic or if this stuff was coming back in style. Maybe it's both. I don't know. Because a lot of children like what their parents had growing up. Mm -hmm. So that's what what's inspiring. Although I know that whenever my parents were growing up, they had uh, stuff like how to make your own atomic kit or something like that, where they had like plutonium in the <gasps> toy kit. Oh my God. 
Yeah, those things actually existed. <laughs> I'm reading a book right now about the Chernobyl disaster, so that's just—it's oh, got even more impact. What I'm reading right now about how bad this was. <laughs> oh my gosh! Uh, I'm looking it up. Uh, yeah, it was called the Atomic Energy Laboratory. It had radioactive and nuclear elements in it, materials in it. Are you kidding? I'm not kidding. It, it was. Uh, wow, that's awesome. <laughs> it's called the the Great. Gilbert U two three eight Atomic Energy Laboratory. You can get it for ten grand on eBay. <laughs> well, good to know. If I ever find it in someone's attic, number one. Yeah. I yes. will put on gloves. Number sure. two, <laughs> I will know that I can sell it for them uh, for ten grand on eBay. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> and then all your hair will fall out from exposure. <laughs> Those are some of the things that I don't want to upcycle. <laughs> yes. And again, that's partially why I really appreciate the safety information you provide in your book. It's it's a good reminder that it's worth paying attention to what you're doing and touching and interacting with. Yeah, especially with electronics because the your your outlets at home can kill you as most people know depending mm -hmm. on what you plug into it. Uh, so definitely taking the extra precautions and being safe before you plug anything that you've messed with into a wall is definitely a necessity because there is the potential for getting shocked, starting fires and uh, getting electrocuted. And nobody wants that. That's not cool. Nope. So you have published a book. You have a successful YouTube channel. What's next? What are your future goals with your Tinkernut work? Well, um, my hope is to... Uh, try and do more outreach stuff just as far as giving people being a resource that people can can uh, come to and, and learn from if they're interested in in upcycling because I've started to do some work with our local library doing classes and things like that and the hope is to do more of that and to also work with some of the organizations in the area that specialized with similar outreaches. I already mentioned uh, Triangle East Cycling in the Triangle area where we are, and the Scrap Exchange is also another good place that, that uh, specializes in, in that type of thing. Yeah, they have something really cool coming up this summer called HiboCon. Is that how you say it, Sarah? <laughs> yeah, I think it's HiboCon, or people say HiboCon. I think either Hibocon. one is fine. You say HiboCon, I say HiboCon. Let's call the whole thing off. <laughs> um, they yeah where basically you just take old toys and try to make them somewhat mobile and then you you have kind of like a platform where you can pit them against each other and see whose old mobile toy can knock off the other one off the <laughs> off the platform or something like that that's that's the general gist right yeah, it's it's like robot fighting. Only you only have like an hour or two to make your robot. Right, you right. Take old toys and whatever else you find. It doesn't even have to be a robot. I mean, I think last year someone's toilet paper tube won. <laughs> 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 it just rolled down and knocked over the other toys, I so love it won. It. Yeah, I love it. it's, it's it's a really good time, and it's the focus is on making the thing and fighting them it's not about like being perfect or awesome it's i think it's called the terrible 
the the war of terrible robots or something <laughs> called it like they're just they're not made to be perfect they're not made to be great they're made to just exist and then like you fight them with people's stuff it's really right. fun yeah. yeah yeah so uh i would i would i i know that they're having an event with booths so that's one thing that i'd like to uh at least be at and see if I can be involved more with different initiatives like that, that, you know, help people learn about what to do with old stuff and, you know, just inspire the community to do more of it. (laughs) Yeah. Scrap exchange last year donated like bags and bags and boxes of like parts of toys, like boxes of Barbie heads Parts of destroyed dolls, old like water toys with little motors on them, you know, whatever, little cars missing wheels. And, you know, you just take those parts together and there's a lot of tape involved usually. And right. yeah, <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. I frequent the scrap exchange a lot for my uh, different projects. It's a, it's a really good resource. And I, I don't know if I mentioned what it is they do, they basically just take kind of uh, what other donations from other businesses, from, you know, companies in the area that are getting rid of the stuff they don't need anymore. So you can find anything there, uh, like boxes of test tubes, clothing, woodworking materials, yard working materials, hardware, and they have a section for electronics. Now they have like old video cameras and computers. I found an old iMac that I just love the aesthetic of. Oh, man. It's from like 2004. It was the one that had like a, a flat panel screen on an armature that you could move up and down and the screen would stay flat. And that's, that's one of the things that I would love to figure out something to do with. <laughs> but yeah, it's... It's a phenomenal resource, and I don't know if everybody has something like that in their area, but everybody should. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, the Scrap Exchange here, they they recently, so they're, they're poised to be, like, they want to have an entire reuse arts district. Mm-hmm. That is their goal. So they started out with the reuse store. They've been open for 30 years now, I think. And they just bought the mall behind them, like the piece of the mall behind them. And I believe they want to have like a whole district over there with like housing and all kinds of stuff and artists and residents. And it's a huge dream. And I I hope they, it comes to fruition. It's, it's pretty cool. And I know there's other, so scrap exchange will actually go out into the, the United States and the world and teach other people how to open reuse warehouses like them so okay i know that there's others in the air i know there's one in florida i know there's like a few from illinois i know there's a couple in illinois and just all over the country i'm pretty sure there's one in the portland area it would surprise me if there wasn't right yeah yeah that's a prime location for (laughs) i'm sure there's reuse warehouses or or places like habitat for humanity often has kind of a reuse kind of area too so yeah those those resources are invaluable for projects yeah and i I mentioned in my book uh if if people listening are in a location that doesn't have any of those things. There's still plenty of places to get old electronics. Uh, yard sales are a great place. There's a, a, a great technique called dumpster diving. <laughs> we uh, There's a lot of big universities around here 
And uh, you'd be amazed what people end up throwing away. And then, yeah, like places like eBay are, are, are great places and uh, some Goodwills and other stores like Goodwill. There's actually uh, shop.goodwill.com is kind of Goodwill's auction site where they auction off stuff from all the different Goodwills across the U.S. And I've found some amazing stuff on there. As of right now, it seems like not a lot of people frequent shop.goodwill.com because there's not a lot of bidding going on except on some rare things. But yeah, you can find a lot of good electronics and components. And I found Arduino kits on there, Raspberry Pi kits. You can find Atari sets, <laughs> Nintendo sets. But yeah, those, those are some other resources as well. That's awesome. And you don't have to buy new stuff. You're specifically right. looking for old stuff. It's cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then make it. Make it new. Make it. Sell it on Etsy or something. <laughs> yeah, that's what I like about it. That's all the questions that I have. Sarah, do you have anything else you want to ask or add? No. <laughs> this is fun. I so, hope we include all our, all our stuff about helium, too. I'm going to cut it. <laughs> we did a lot of chatting before we started the intro, so I'm going to cut that chatting in probably right around here so that you can listen to it if you'd like. Uh, although first I want to say, so you can get Daniel's book, Tinkernut Upcycle Technology. I know you can get it on Amazon because that's where I bought it. Are, is that the main venue for purchasing your book or are there other places? Um, it's also on barnesandnoble.com and it may be physically in Barnes and Noble as well, <laughs> but I haven't checked. And uh, also uh, it is now included at the Durham, the Durham County Library System, so you can check it out in the library as well. Yay! And then you are on YouTube as Tinkernut. Yep, youtube.com slash tinkernut or www.tinkernut.com is, you, you, you don't even have to put the www, but tinkernut.com is my uh, official channel. I need to update it a little bit more often, but <laughs> that will happen. And at tinkernut on Twitter, that's how you can find me. Very cool. Thank you so much. Yeah, this is guys. awesome. Thank yeah. you. A lot of fun. Very inspiring. Yes, that'd be great. <laughs> Thanks, guys. You should do one on where helium goes because that might save Party City. Did you guys hear about that? No. There's a helium shortage. And so Party City is uh, closing 40% of its stores. <gasps> <laughs> well, so I went to Dollar Tree to get some balloons actually for Emily's birthday. And one Dollar Tree was completely out of helium. They're like, no helium here. Like wow. they had a very sad little sign. And then... I, I had to go to another one and they're like, yeah, we have helium. What's the password? I'm like, <laughs> well, are you serious? No, they didn't say where's the hat password. They're like, yeah, everybody's out of helium except us. We're hoarding it. Wow. Yeah. There's actually, I was looking this up because <laughs> I was curious. There's actually a helium reserve in, uh, in Texas. I think it's Amarillo, Texas. So huh. I, was, I was just imagining like guards around this helium reserve and you walk up to them and they say in a very high pitched voice, who goes there? <laughs> I'm just imagining Texas floating off the map. <laughs>
That's amazing yeah, it, that it had such a huge corporate impact on Party oh, City. I, know. I was like, helium's an element, right? Like, it yeah. can't just disappear. But apparently, on Earth, it comes from uh, the radioactive decay of certain rocks in the Earth. So it has to be mined. Isn't that crazy? Mining yeah. helium? And apparently, you can extract it from uh, oxygen or, or from uh, water, but it's like 10,000 times the price of, <laughs> of getting it from these, these rocks. I had no idea. I, I feel like I feel like our our podcast topic is where does it go? Helium and Daniel Davis. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was really crazy. I didn't know you had to mine it. I didn't either. I, I, I think Mars will save us. Like we, we go to Mars just so we can have birthday parties again. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, you know, so this is like kind of most of my brain is a cartoon, right? So it's, <laughs> I kind of felt like I always kind of figured you, it was someone with like this really big intricate net was like out there catching the helium. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> well, if this it was a where net. I thought helium came from. So, so if they caught it with a net, wouldn't the net just float them up in the air? Or yeah. Something? I never thought it through that far. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, cartoons aren't based on realism, so it's... Yeah, so I just figured that's dog. how they were catching the helium. That That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I just can't believe that Party City's closing their stores because of this. Yeah, and a hefty chunk of them, too. That's... Yeah. I thought that, uh, I thought that balloons were just like a small percentage of uh, what their income is, but maybe not. Because they have all this other stuff. They could just say no longer selling balloons, but maybe they're they'll they'll lose all their customers if that happens. I guess I don't, know. I don't even know. Ooh, their stock is way down. Well, what else does Party City sell? But like paper plates and things. Yeah, the the past few times I've been there, I haven't gotten any balloons. I went there to get some. Uh, uh, I had my book release party uh, uh, about a month ago and uh, mm -hmm. and got some stuff for that like little uh, just party favors and whatnot and then the time before that it was Halloween I would assume that that's their their biggest time because they have a lot of costumes and stuff yeah. yeah huh exactly I think I've bought balloons from Party City once yeah in my life yeah like they have tons of uh, stuff for weddings and things like mm -hmm. that um, and I see all these big fancy balloons on the wall. Maybe that's the problem. If they didn't make their balloons so large and fancy, they wouldn't require as much helium. Is there an alternative to helium that we know of? Hydrogen. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. It's not a oh, good yeah. alternative, but it is technically an alternative. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm just imagining like, Many Hindenburgs at uh, children's birthday parties. Yes. <laughs> Blow out the candles, but not near the balloon. Not near the balloon. <laughs> oh my god! Oh. I, I, the combination of a cake and a balloon would be deadly. Oh. <laughs> maybe, maybe we should just find alternatives to balloons. <laughs> That's a better idea. <laughs> what's uh, What's funny is so my wife is a a chemist and for some reason we were talking about helium and I was like, is there different grades of helium? And she started laughing at me and <laughs> I was like, why are you laughing at me? And she was like, Be because helium's an element. It's just 
helium. There's <laughs> there's no different <laughs> grades to, and and, and, and she made this noble gases. Yeah, 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 and she she made this joke about having organic helium, and, <laughs> and it just popped in my head that that would be a great like sales pitch to somebody. Our our helium is organic. You could just like have a, a roadside stand with balloons that have organic helium. <laughs> It'd be huge. <laughs> Technically true, non-GMO. It, it has, yeah. You could, uh, you could say the that they're organic helium balloons, and just leave people guessing as to whether the helium's organic or if the balloons are organic. Oh. <laughs> I have to make it specific. Yeah, I thought that was pretty funny, except for the fact that she laughed at me for not knowing that there <laughs> wasn't different grades of helium. I mean, it's a fair question. You know, saying in like different purities or something, but I guess you can't purify <laughs> the purities of helium. I love that. This is I like in a back alley. This is high grade helium. And like in a really in a really high voice. This is high grade helium. Yeah, prove it, man. Prove it. I cut my helium with hydrogen. <laughs> it's called the mini Hindenburg. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's uh, funny whenever we try to meet up with either her friends or my friends because it's either an entirely group of tech-centric people or chemistry-centric people. So uh, she and I have had to become well-versed in each other's uh, fields <laughs> so that we can carry on conversations. Yeah, I've learned a lot about computer programming just because of my husband and Sarah's husband and our friends Karen and Darren and I'm a biologist. <laughs> I don't know how I know some of those names. Yeah. Yeah, you should know Darren and Karen. And yeah. you know Shaw, of course. Yeah. Funny thing, I am actually uh, recording this at Splat Space. Oh, are you? Cool. Yeah. They hate all the junk there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've been a contributor to the uh the what is it the bone pile the boneyard that the boneyard mm-hmm yep <laughs> some good stuff who knew helium would be so fascinating it is interesting stuff we did an episode on stardust and yeah i listened to that. that yeah that was really cool it's just fun to think that we are truly all made of stars I knew I was ever since I was little. Yeah, it was uh, the doctors couldn't figure out why I couldn't stop shining. <laughs> Didn't need a nightlight. <laughs> that's efficiency right there. <laughs> and that's what you look for in a small child, right? Efficiency. <laughs> I thought you were going to say glowing. <laughs> I mean, I would look for glowing, but, and you know, I can see efficiency as a, as a draw for some people. You're more likely to get glowing than efficiency. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my child glows at 12 lumens. I don't know what yours glows at. <laughs> oh, she's, she's a slow, you know, <laughs> low glower. <laughs> She'll get there, though. She's glowing at her own pace. <laughs> glowing at her own pace. I like that. That's really funny. I, I was another... <laughs> sorry, this is another random <laughs> side topic. Um, I was uh, reading this article about how they've been able to extract um, the bioluminescence from uh, certain animals and uh, 
put them into plants so that just regular plants can glow during the night. And they were even talking about the feasibility of putting this luminescence into trees so that they could replace street lamps. Did you read about that? No, but I want this to happen. Isn't that cool? Yes. I want the world to be like that. That's such a good idea. Yeah, that would be so awesome. Yeah, they've had successful tests of putting this luminescence, bioluminescence into plants and being able to grow them and they will cast light. Yeah, it would be awesome to have trees just lining the streets that are glowing. I want my entire garden to be like that. Like it looks normal in the day and then the lights go out and it's all weird glowy garden. That would be so crazy. It would be amazing. But I bet it would freak out lightning bugs though because they would know who to mate with. We don't have lightning bugs out here in Southwest Durham. I think they're outlawed. I'm not sure. (laughs) (laughs) You're in North Durham, but, uh, you know, they could get over it. (laughs) (laughs) I was reading, uh, I think this was whenever I was reading about the bioluminescence stuff, that there there, uh, was plans, and I don't like this idea as much, about getting sunlight to places on Earth that don't have much sunlight during the day using like satellites and mirrors and just using the mirrors to direct sunlight to them for longer portions of the day so they can grow more stuff but i feel like that would kind of disrupt the ecosphere that's up there i don't know wasn't that the the weapon in real genius like in that 80s movie real genius yeah yeah they referenced that yeah (laughs) Yeah, and they popped all that popcorn in the house. Yes, yes. I was about to say, that sounds like a great way to start a fire. (laughs) It was basically, it popped all the popcorn in the house because it was basically just a giant satellite-driven laser. Right, yeah. Yeah, they they referenced that. And and I think that that's what made the article interesting was they were like, yeah, this is a bad idea and here's why because this is what happened in the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Val Kilmer. <laughs> Poor guy. So well, between Shaw and I, the guy that lived in the, in the basement, Lazarus, he comes up frequently in our conversations, at least like once or twice a month. La- it, was his name Lazarus? I haven't watched Laszlo. it. His name was Laszlo. He lived, he lived in the steam tunnels of the university, and he was like the burnt out, like golden child. And so he like kind of disappeared and lived in the steam tunnels and he, the way he got out was through their dorm room. Oh, wow. And for some reason in Sean and I's life, like Laszlo will come up pretty frequently. I don't know why. Yeah, no, that's, so that's, that's really why cool. I know a lot about real genius is because I've seen it a lot and we talk about Laszlo frequently. When I was a child wanting a house, I always wanted some type of secret tunnel system. Oh, well, I still do. In it or under, yeah, yeah, I guess that's true. I'm actually <laughs> sitting right next to the trap door in our floor, so it is possible. Oh, nice. It's into our crawl space because our crawl space was so inaccessible otherwise. Oh, so I like that. We have a nice hardwood covered trap door. That's really awesome. Yeah, I've always wanted one of those bookcase hidden Ooh, rooms. Or yeah, that would like be that. much and, more fun than a crawl space. <laughs> You have to, uh, and it, it has to be so that whenever you pull a book, it opens. Like, it can't open any other way. 
you have which to book, pull. Which book would you pull? Uh, Your own book? We could go with that. <laughs> Jurassic uh, Park. May, maybe, maybe like the, uh, the works of Shakespeare or something. Or maybe it has to be something, something boring. The history of verb conjugation or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nobody's picking that book up, uh, you know. <laughs> Just to peruse. Yeah, because you don't want somebody to accidentally be like, oh, this looks interesting. Oh, it's a trap door or a hidden door. What are you doing? I'm not doing anything. <laughs> it's background noise. I'll try to tone it down if I can. Oh, it's okay. Just say I'm working on a project. I mean, right. you're, yeah, you're, you're, you're tinkering. You're tinker nuts, so there's tinkering going on. It's atmospheric. <laughs> Welcome to the labs. <laughs> <laughs>